I was an orphan, so I care for orphans. That's a powerful line that conveys how the way one has been treated often directly correlates with the way that same one treats others regarding similar circumstances or difficulties or backgrounds or challenges. As mentioned earlier, today we begin a new focus, a new series entitled The Gospel in Action. And on this day, on this Sunday, November 2nd, 2014, we join with thousands of other churches in America and even around the world in looking at God's care for orphans. That we might see how the love of God and the love of God for orphans finds echo in our own lives as believers in Christ, as followers of Christ, as children of God. And as the people of God, the character and the priorities of our God ought to, ought to directly impact and influence our transforming character and our transforming actions. And use the word transforming because we know that as long as we are in this life, in this fallen world, in these fallen, sinful, broken bodies, we will not, we will not achieve perfection in Christ. As long as we are in this life, none of us will be sinless as Christ is sinless. We have positional sanctification, to use a fancy word, before God, and the sense that we have been set apart by God and even regarded by God as His people, as holy, as righteous, as innocent in His eyes before the bloodshed of Christ. But our sanctification is not yet perfected and will not be as long as we are on this earth. Nevertheless, though, the things of God ought to matter to the people of God. The character of God, the priorities of God, the pursuits of God ought to matter to us as those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. And though most of us have not been physically adopted like those depicted in this video just a moment ago have, we all, if we know Christ, have even greater reason, far greater reason to care the unadopted of this world. And we see a, a framework for that. We see a biblical foundation for that in God's Word in the letter to the Ephesians. So I invite you to open up your Bibles and look with me at Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. And we'll be looking at a couple different passages of Scripture during our time this morning, but Ephesians will be our home base. So I do invite you to turn there and to look with me at God's Word. And as we look at his word together, let's go to God in prayer. Father, we do thank you for these few moments. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is alive. It's living. It's active. It's sharp. Lord, and we invite you to instruct us this morning by your word, to speak to us through your word, to transform us by the power of your spirit working through your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Scripture reads this way. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us and the one he loves. And these verses, these four verses here that I just read from in Ephesians chapter 1 are part of a, a longer benediction that Paul gives at the opening of this letter to the church at Ephesus. And the thrust, the main point of, of this benediction is to remind the church, to remind Christians of what it is that God has done for them. He has created them and He has called them to be His people. He has set them apart by His grace as His people. And as a result of that reality, as a result of that truth, those that know Christ, those that have become the people of God, ought to praise God for that truth. Followers of Jesus will praise God for His grace in making them His people. See that here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Followers of Jesus, Christians, Christ followers, will praise God for His grace in making them His people. The point is that God's actions, what He has done, the saving grace that has been poured out on us, on all believers in Christ, all those who know Christ, ought to have an effect on us, an effect on us that causes us to turn around and then to praise God for His magnificent grace, for what He has done. So what, what did God do? What is Paul getting at? What is Scripture getting at? What did God do for us? And we see here that God chose to bless His people for purity and innocence with His free gift of grace. God chose to bless His people for purity, for holiness and innocence, blamelessness, with His free gift of grace. Look back at Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because He is the one who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. What is being communicated here? What is Scripture saying? What is Paul saying under the influence and the inspiration of the Spirit of God? Well, he's speaking to believers by the very inclusion of these words in the Bible today. He's speaking to us as well as people who, are, who associate ourselves with Christ, as followers of Christ. And he's speaking of heavenly things, of heavenly blessings Something that is beyond common, ordinary experience on earth. Blessed us with heavenly blessings. The heavenly realm, spiritual blessings. They're through the Spirit, God's Spirit. And given to all of those who, whose faith in Christ makes them recipients of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we could debate this morning the role and even the tension that we see here and throughout the rest of Scripture between God's role in, in choosing His people and 
and our response in choosing Him. We're not going to do that this morning. That's not our task this morning. We'll, we'll save that for another day. But the point is this. That God took the initiative here to save us by His grace. That God was proactive. That He came to us to mend a broken relationship. And just as Israel was not chosen by God in the Old Testament based on their potential or their size or their strength or their righteousness, no one, no believers chosen by God receive salvation because there's some great potential in us or some great righteousness in us or goodness in us. It is solely an act of His unmerited favor, His grace, unearned, undeserved kindness. He chose to to bless His people for purity and innocence with His free gift of grace. And we also see here that through Jesus, God lovingly appointed His people to be His privileged children. Through Jesus, God lovingly appointed His people to be His privileged children. Look back at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. In love, in love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. In other words, part of recognizing and realizing the gospel, part of repenting of sin and turning to Christ in faith for salvation is recognizing how God sees the recipients of the gospel. How God views those who put their faith in Him. And the truth is, according to Scripture, that He sees us as children. He saves us by His grace that He invites us into His family. And He regards us in a way differently than He did before. No longer slaves, but sons of God by the grace of God. Paul wants us to make sure that we do not miss that this is by the grace of God. This is the prerogative of God to save people by His grace. Nothing else, nothing that we could do or earn on our own. And for this reason, he writes in the very next chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not of yourselves. This is not from yourselves. It's not because of anything you've done. It is not by works. It is the gift of God. Gift of God. So that no one and boast. Though we have rebelled against God, though we have sinned against God, though we have fallen short of the standard of God, the grace of God invites us to be His children. Invites us to have a reconciled relationship with Him, with the God of the universe, the Creator of all things, the Giver of life. Invites you and me to, to be His people. No longer in hostility against Him. No longer living in guilt and sin and as slaves to sin, but rather to be the people of God. Scripture uses the language here of adoption to sonship. And this tells us that when God saves us and makes us His his people, He doesn't look at us as second-class citizens or 
even second-class family members in the family of God because this language that's used here, adoption to sonship, implies full legal standing, the full legal standing of a son in Roman culture in that day. Describing the practice where the father of a family would make a son his heir who is not one of his own biological family. God invites us, calls us by His grace to be members of His family, to be sons of the Almighty God. Let that sink in for for just a moment. What a privilege that is. What an incredible blessing that is that none of us have done anything to earn on our own. This past week, a number of you all dressed up as characters and things and people that you don't any other time because we have a cultural holiday that tells us it's okay to do that sort of thing once a year. And you're not going to believe who showed up at my house this last week. One of my favorite childhood characters, Charlie Brown and his sidekick Snoopy, actually showed up at my house this last week. But I'm going to tell you something that that's going to be a shock to some of you. That's not really Charlie Brown. <laughs> I know, disappointing. And he's not Charlie Brown because that's my son. And no matter what he does, who he dresses up like, who he tries to be, how many foolish things he does over the course of his life, he will always be my son. He has no choice in the matter. I'm sure there will be times that he would rather disassociate himself with me, but that's really not up to him. He will always be my son. That is who he is. And likewise, those that have trusted in Christ for salvation, those that have responded to the grace of God as extended through the gospel of Jesus Christ, have a position that is eternal, a status before God as children, as privileged children. that can never be reversed, can never be taken away, and an inheritance that cannot even be refused. And later in this benediction, Paul writes this in verses 13 and 14, and you also, making this personal, no longer just talking in the third person about believers, you as believers, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. The gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him, in Christ, that is, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. In Christ, those that have believed in Christ, that have turned to Christ, that have repented of sin, identify themselves with Christ as Lord, as Savior, following Christ, have gone from being slaves to sons of God. The language of Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And now approach God and call God Abba, 
Father. Because that's what Jesus calls God. As the Son of God. God chose to bless His people for purity and innocence with His free gift of grace. Through Jesus, God lovingly appointed His people to be His privileged children. And we see here that God redeemed His people for His glory. God redeemed His people for His glory. Look back at verse 5 of Ephesians chapter 1. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In other words, it was God's will to make us His people. It's God's desire to make us His children. It brought Him pleasure to see us come to faith in Christ, becoming heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, awaiting an inheritance as children of God through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. And He did all of that knowing that those who respond to that gift of salvation, those that see that grace and respond in faith, will not be able to help themselves but to praise Him for His magnificent grace. Church, God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our devotion all the time because He is a God who saves us by His grace. And we ought to praise Him For that salvation. We ought to praise Him for that gospel. Praise God for the gospel. Praise God for the gospel. The gospel, good news of salvation by grace through faith in Christ, ought to be the center of all we do as the people of God, as a church and as individuals who make up the body of Christ. The gospel of God ought to prompt us as the people of God to praise God. And if it doesn't prompt us to to praise God, then then we're failing to recognize and to realize the significance of this glorious gospel, the greatness of this glorious gospel. The call of God to salvation by His grace doesn't spark some desire in us or something in us to give our lives for His glory, then Perhaps we're not following Christ. This is a good message. Good news. Not my message. The message of Scripture. Good news of salvation by God's grace through faith in Christ. And it ought to compel us to praise God for that gospel. And not only should it cause us to praise God for salvation... But as the people of God, we then began to respond to the character and the actions of God. As the people of God, as children of God, as privileged children of God, who've gone from death to life, the priorities of God, the character of God, then began to become our priorities, our pursuits. We see this in The same letter in Ephesians. I invite you to turn a page or two to the right to Ephesians chapter 4 where 
Paul, the writer of this letter, is not getting really practical, using the first part of the book to describe great theological truths about who God is, what He's done, who we are, and then calling us to action in the second half of the letter. And Notice what he writes in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 25. He says, Therefore, therefore, in other words, in light of who you are now, therefore each of you must put off falsehood, And speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Chapter 5, verse 1. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Church followers of Jesus will begin to imitate the abundant grace of God. Followers of Jesus will not only praise God for the grace that he has shown them, the abundant grace, the lavish grace that he's poured out on them in saving them, but they will then begin to imitate the abundant grace of God. And God treats us in a way that is far better than we deserve. A natural human response is to thank Him and to live in such a way that we desire to honor Him. And we do this in this life. and Someone gives us something, a great gift, a magnificent gift. We want to thank them for it. And we then want to Something in us wants to honor them with how we respond to that gift. Perhaps this is a bargaining tool used by children or a spouse. Hey, if I can get this, if I can buy this, I'll do this or I'll act like this. I'll no longer do this. But not only should God's gift of salvation to us spark a, a human response of thanksgiving from us but even deeper than that we know through scripture that those who know christ those that are made the people of god those that become followers of christ then receive an even greater gift the spirit of god residing in us who works to transform us to become more and more like our lord more and more like our savior and so the things that are important to him the things that are important to god become important to us as we're transformed more and more into the image of Christ. And for example, since God is a just God, Christians will pursue social justice. Since God is a just God, Christians will pursue social justice in the world. We see an example of this right here in Ephesians chapter 4 to a certain extent. Verse 28, Paul writes, Anyone who has been stealing, any thieves out there, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. Not just because stealing's wrong. It certainly is. We know that from Scripture. 
but must work with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So since God cares for the needy of the world, hurting of the world, marginalized of the world, the people of God began to care for, for those people as God does. You read this. Deuteronomy chapter 32, near the end of Moses' life, he pens a song and he writes this. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 3 and 4. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is He. Because God is a just God. We ought to pursue justice as well. Micah chapter 6, well-known passage of Scripture. Scripture asks, what... What can we bring before the Lord? What can we bring to God to earn His favor, to appease Him? Micah 6, verses 6 and following, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you O mortal, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Justice, love, humility, mercy. These are character traits of God that begin to be reflected in the people of God as we respond to those in the Lord our God. Since God is just, Christians will pursue Social justice for all victims of injustice in the world. For the unborn, for the elderly, for victims of human trafficking, and for the unadopted. And since God loves orphans, Christians will love orphans. Since God loves orphans, Christians will love orphans. I invite you to turn back with me to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 10, as we read about God's love and His care and His concern for the fatherless of the world. A word that's used often in Scripture, used often in the Old Testament to describe the orphan, describe the child without someone to care for them, without someone to provide for them. Deuteronomy chapter 10, I'll begin reading in verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Turn a few chapters to the right to Deuteronomy chapter 24. God is instructing his people and the way that they are to harvest their fields during the harvest time. Deuteronomy chapter 24 beginning in verse 19. Scripture reads this way. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, 
the fatherless and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. Psalmist wrote, Psalm chapter 10, beginning in verse 16, The Lord is King forever and ever. The nations will perish from His land. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. This is just a sampling. We could trace in God's Word His care for the marginalized, His care for the fatherless, His care for the orphan in the world. And since God cares for and loves orphans, churches, people of God, we have no choice. Part of our task, part of our responsibility is then to care for and to love the orphans. Thirdly, we see from Scripture that since God adopts His people, His adopted people will care for the unadopted. It's a great enough reason that we would regard something as a priority simply on the basis that it's a priority to God. But the truth is, according to Scripture, that all of those who, who know Christ have even greater reason to identify with the orphans of the world. And that's because all of us, though not physical orphans, we're spiritual orphans before God. Not because God had abandoned us, done anything unjust to us, but simply because we had abandoned Him, because we were estranged from Him through our sin. And even so, God took the initiative and He came to us to mend the broken relationship through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ and the accordance with His pleasure and His will. God mending the broken relationship. Most of the orphans of the world have done nothing to inherit the situation that they are in. Most of the 153 million who are characterized as orphans in the world today have done nothing to be estranged from family, father, or mother. In most cases, parents have abandoned them, perhaps through poverty, through, perhaps through disease, perhaps even through death. And because we, as people of God, have been adopted into the family of God, We must care for the unadopted in this world. Church, I hope, I hope we're seeing this morning from God's Word that Christians care for orphans because Christians were orphans. Christians care for orphans in this world because Christians were orphans. So what then can we do? How can we care for 
orphans in the world. I want to leave us with three things this morning as we conclude. Three ways that we can connect with the need of orphans in this world. The first is this. Learn about the world's orphans. Learn about the world's orphans. According to the Christian Alliance for Orphans, there are at this time, this year, 400,000 plus children in the U.S. alone who are in the foster care system. 400,000 plus, and roughly one-fourth of those, at least 100,000 of them are waiting to be adopted. First, the need is tremendous. And we cannot ignore these things. We cannot ignore these statistics. We cannot overlook the needs around us. Let's learn about these things. Let's learn about the world's orphans. And then let's respond to their need. And the first way that we can respond to the need is by praying for the world's orphans. Pray for the world's orphans. We see this over and over in the New Testament. of Believers praying for others. Even our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 19 welcomed the children. He prayed for the children and said, His kingdom belonged to such as these. So we ought to care for the children of the world. Let's pray for them. Let's pray for for those in foster care. Let's pray for those as orphans in the world. Let's pray that God would raise up families to adopt them, to care for them, to provide for them, to protect them. And even more so, much more important than that, let's pray that they would one day be adopted into the family of God, that they would experience the saving grace of God that we have as well. Let's learn about the world's orphans. Let's pray for the world's orphans. And lastly, let's serve the world's orphans. Serve the world's orphans. I'm, I'm thankful that we have two tremendous Christian organizations right here in Birmingham, Alabama, caring for orphans in this city and across the state and even in other parts of the world. Lifeline Children's Services, Alabama Baptist Children's Homes, two fantastic organizations that, that are doing just this. And my prayer this morning My hope this morning is that many, many of us will come back tonight at 6 o'clock as we have a worship gathering, we have a worship service in which we praise our Father in heaven for spiritually adopting us into His family. And we'll also have the opportunity to, to hear from some of our friends at the Alabama Baptist Children's Home in a time that we're entitling orphans in our city. Orphans in this city. And we'll hear about ways that we can pray for them, ways that we can be involved in caring for orphans right here at home. Church, Christians care for orphans because Christians were orphans. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for inviting us, calling us into your family, Lord, to be brothers and sisters of Christ. Lord, to be privileged children of you. Lord, we thank you for that privilege, Lord. We pray that that would spark praise in us today, that we would worship you because of what you've done for us today. We would respond in obedience, that we would look for ways to serve you and to serve others in your name. Lord, to serve the unadopted of this world, in the name of Christ, because of the love of Christ. Lord, lead us, guide us, use us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.